Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Okay, so we did expect Evan back this episode. He was stupid and got sick after a vacation. Highly convenient. Although I will say Evan leaving Rome as the Ryder Cup started was was pretty surprising. I thought he was I thought the whole marriage and getting married in Italy was just a ruse to go see a golf tournament, but he surprises us all the time. So Evan's not here. But what we do have here in the studio is now that it's fall, courtesy of Mel, because she likes to theme the studio for us, it's not my doing, is Gordy Howe, our little Red Wings themed pumpkin with a number nine on it. So for those of you who watch on YouTube, Gordy Howe is back. I'm very sorry about the pun, but it's too enjoyable to not keep bringing back. I love it, but I need to circle back to something already here, Ryan. I just, I'm going to explain something and I'm going to do nothing but repeat what you said just in a different context. And then I think you'll understand why I'm doing that. Evan, who was in Europe on European time, while there was a Ryder Cup being played in Europe, and then he came back to North America, but his body was still on European time, conveniently couldn't show up today. <laughs> In the evening on North American time after the Euro- uh, the Ryder Cup this morning on European time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what, do you think he's celebrating the European win? I think he watched it at three in the morning and has been <laughs> sleeping for the last four hours. Just set alarms to tell us, wake up messages, I'm really sick. We, when was the la- what was the last message we got from him today? About 3 p.m.? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that tracks, doesn't it? Oh, folks. Well, Evan may be suffering and or sleeping, but... Myself, Brad, and Gordy Howe are here to talk to you about Red Wings hockey. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, the upcoming season, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And Evan Lobsinger is away. Hopefully better for next episode, though. The people miss him. The people are sick of you and I. Same. Same. And that's it for this episode. (laughs) On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be taking a look at the Red Wings' continued preseason as stories unfold. We get a little bit more of a look at the players playing. We become more and more impressed by a certain prospect and the Red Wings' best players. And uh, whatever other storylines have come from those games, we'll also take a look at Red Wings' prospects overseas. Don't look now, but Axel Sandin Pelica is absolutely on fire. We are joined this episode by Daniela Bruce. From the Detroit Red Wings, we're very, very happy to have her on the show. Her insights are always great, and it's a really good lead into the season to to chat with Daniela. And today marks our Pacific Division Preview, our specific Pacific Division Preview, where we analyze the upcoming season in the Pacific, guess the order, are going to be completely wrong, and break it down team by team, and then some other NHL news before we get into overtime. First, we want to let you know, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, it's an event hosted in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings and ourselves, the Winged Wheel Podcast, where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel Pod at Little Caesars Arena before the Red Wings game. So that's Saturday, November 4th against the Boston Bruins. So that's going to be a great game. We're going to host a live episode of the pod. It's going to feature Ken Daniels and another special guest. We'll reveal that at a later time. When you get your ticket, not only do you get a discounted ticket to the Detroit Red Wings game, you also get a special officially licensed Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast co-branded beanie to prepare you for the winter, and you'll be decked out in style with the Red Wings logo and the Winged Wheel Podcast logo. You'll sit in a Winged Wheel Podcast-specific seating section. You can sit in the gondola, which is the same view that Ken and Mick have when they call games. You can sit in the upper bowl, or you can sit in the lower bowl. 
A portion of the proceeds from every ticket benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is why we do all of this. You will have access to the pregame live episode recording, which also includes a meet and greet. You can say hi to Ken and have Ken and Evan sign your things. And if you're so inclined, you can talk to me and Brad as well. You'll have an opportunity to get food and drinks. So it'll be merch, giveaways, prizes, and lots more. It's a fantastic event. The only catch is only the first 400 ticket buyers get that co-branded beanie. So make sure you get yours today. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings or go to the link in the description. Again, that's wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings or go to the link in the description of this episode. Get your tickets today. They do go fast. And very quickly here, this podcast is made possible. Winged Wheel Podcast Nights are made possible. Everything that we do on the show is made possible by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Podcast. if you want to support the show. We'll tell you more about it later, but you get access to our Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord. You get access to our bonus overtime episodes and any other bonus content that we make. And you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. We're giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season. The vast majority are going directly to our Patreon supporters. All of that and lots more. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Before we get into the show here, I want to make a quick note. Chris Snow uh, recently passed away at the age of 42. He's known to most, if not all, of the hockey world. But if you didn't know, Chris Snow was diagnosed with ALS and fought a incredibly admirable fight against what is a terrible, terrible disease. Uh, Chris was an absolute warrior through the entire process. His wife, Kelsey, was incredible in sharing his story throughout the entire process and had the entire hockey world uh, behind Chris rooting for him. Uh, he you know, did experimental treatment and donated essentially his time and his body throughout this entire process for ALS research and the impact of that is going to be felt for years and years to come. Uh, Chris, Chris's passing was devastating news, but uh, again, in death as he did in life, also you know donated uh, his body and was able to provide organs as well for to save the lives of others. So Chris, um, the the legacy he he's left behind and the impact he's made, not just in the hockey world but the medical world, is nothing short of remarkable, and there aren't really words for it to describe it. So. Uh, the entire hockey community um, sends love and condolences to the family, friends, and loved ones of Chris Snow. You know, I talk a lot about the NHL preseason, and I maintain that I think it should be shorter. I think it's too long, but I will say it it does do a good job of illuminating a lot of things that need illuminating for teams like the Red Wings, where you don't know the roster going into the season, and you don't know where different players in the future are going to factor into the lineup. What is their true ceiling? How have they really developed? Is this looking like a good uh, process for their development or were we wrong about something one way or the other? So, you know, it's not a coincidence and it's not just because we're trying to pull a story out of thin air that we're going to open by talking about Nate Danielson for, what is it, the second, third episode in a row? Like, he looks good out there. Yes, and um, again... To reiterate the last few episodes, we should never make broad sweeping assumptions or whatever you want to call it during the preseason. So that's exactly what we're going to do right here when we declare <laughs> Nate Danielson the best Red Wings prospect. Jokingly, but almost not. You know what I mean? He played in junior last year and guys like Simon Edmondson and Marco Casper, though great prospects. We've seen them in a professional hockey setting before, both yeah. of them. We have not seen Nate Danielson in a professional hockey setting before 
this preseason. And this always gives you at least a glimpse of where is he relative to this level. And again, I understand most of the rosters he's playing are very AHL heavy. And it's worth repeating. The worst AHL team in the history of the AHL would demolish the best junior hockey team. So it is a huge step up in competition for him. And he's thriving. He is noticeable almost every time he's on the ice. He's got that rare, unique skill. And it is a skill, although it's hard to describe, where the puck seems to follow him. He's always involved in the play. And when he does end up with the puck, way more often than not, he is making a tremendous play with it. Most of the time, the right play, the simple play. But uh, more times than you would think, a skillful, complicated play through a seam or he finds a read exceptionally quickly. And I know it's only one preseason and they were taken in different drafts. But like I would go so far as to say is he's comfortably separated himself from Marco Casper to this point. And I still think Casper is a good prospect, Mm -hmm. but you know, considering they're both top 10 picks only one year apart, although I think they might be the same age because Danielson was the late birthday. I think Danielson is clearly a superior prospect, at least because we've watched them in the same rosters against the same competition this preseason. And one of them has been exceptional and the other one has not been bad, but not been very noticeable. And I think that just comes down to the offensive instincts because we know what Marco Casper is good at. 200-foot player, super gritty, skates well, is always trying to get involved in the play, but he doesn't seem to have that it factor that Danielson possibly has and looks to have of just, he always has the puck, follows him around, and he's always making plays. Yeah. So it's been, I wouldn't say a bad uh, preseason for Marco Casper, so I'm hoping nobody takes it that way. I'm just using it as a benchmark for how good Nate Danielson has been in this preseason and circling back to one of our Patreon exclusives where we did prospect rankings. And I said, I don't know about best or worst prospect, but Danielson is the most important prospect in the Red Wings future. I still maintain that. And he's doing everything he can to live up to that billing. Yeah, you're right that Casper's only five months older. He was born in April, Nate Danielson born in late September. And that sense, like that kind of awareness that you only really see, I shouldn't say only, but often really see with more mature players, it comes with time in the NHL. And for him to come out of junior and to do this in an NHL preseason, it is incredibly impressive. And it's not just us noticing this. I think the most common mention we got over the past week or two has been, can Nate Danielson play in the NHL this year? Yes, he can. The The CHL-NHL agreement precludes him from playing the in the AHL, but he can play in the NHL or the CHL. So he can go back to the dub or, or stay with the Red Wings. But yeah, the, the most common note we've gotten is Nate Danielson looks like the real deal and he looks like he's ready way sooner. And if you think back to the draft, I know a lot of people are saying, were we wrong about Danielson? It's I don't think this is, I don't want to say not unexpected, but it, this isn't outside of what Danielson could have been. And we talked about that when he was drafted, which was he should be ready sooner because he's a late birthday. And the style of game he plays, if he is as the Red Wings thought he was when they drafted him, should translate into the NHL a bit sooner. What is really good and the surprising part of this is that all of that seems to be coming into play here. Like Nate Danielson is already displaying his offensive instincts. He already does look comfortable at the NHL level. He He's not sticking out like, sticking out like a sore thumb in the bad way. And 
Further, like you mentioned, Brad, he's noticeable out on the ice. Preseason isn't hard to stand out in, but often you get good players who just don't do much in preseason, and it's not well, a knock on them. I'll throw one point back at you. How many other players in the Red Wings have stood out in this preseason that well, aren't named Larkin, Debrinkit, or Raymond? No, that's what I'm, that, that's the point I'm about to yeah. make. Is like you can be invisible through mar- most of a preseason, and it doesn't make you a bad player. Like good NHL players just don't have great preseasons, and that's fine. But if you stand out in a preseason where really the only pl- other players doing it are the captain of the team, the most important player on the team in most cider, the new star scorer in, in Alex Dabrinkit and a handful of others, and then you're Nate Danielson and you're doing it, like that is good for him. You, I think you might have said this last episode or you might have said it off air at some point, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Nate Danielson in a Grand Rapids Griffins jersey. It's too soon to make that declaration, sure, but... Let's say he goes back to the CHL this year. If he trends as he has been trending so far, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, and that's fine. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. I would not be surprised to see him make this team out of camp next year. Yeah, he does have the advantage of being the late birthday, which going back to one of the points you started with there was the concern with him leading into the draft. I don't think anybody ever watched Nate Danielson's game and was went, that's bad. No. Most people were pretty positive about Nate Danielson, but it came with the risks of a late birthday on an awful junior team with not the counting stats you would want. Now were those counting stats a result of a bad junior team or maybe just the offensive ceiling wasn't there? Pretty quickly, Danielson's uh, telling everybody, no, it was the supporting cast. I did what I could. Yeah. And, you know, so by the time he's done... His junior season this year with Brandon, who's probably still going to be bad, but better. He'll be 20, almost 20 years old going, or actually he will turn 20 during camp next year. So yeah, I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect him to go straight from uh, junior to the NHL. And, you know, he's not going to get any games with the Red Wings this year, but if this were the Red Wings of three years ago with that roster, you could probably see a nine game like, yeah, let's just get a get his feet wet, see how it is. That's obviously not the case this year, but you know it, the potential would have been there. And if he goes back up and dummies the WHL and comes into camp next year with a ton of confidence, yeah, I I, I would go so far as to say I would almost expect him to be on the team at that point. Yeah, it is very early stages, so inevitably, you know. A player's progress is never perfectly linear upwards, or it's rare that it is. So don't draw too much from this. Don't start etching into stone. But for all the signs that you'd want early on that, yeah, Nate Danielson does have that offensive ability that was kind of a question mark where it could be one way or the other at the time of drafting. He's shown way more than I would have expected any prospect to show at this stage. So, yeah, he's done a remarkable job standing out amongst the Red Wings' best players in the preseason. Speaking of the Red Wings' best players, let's talk about them. Debrinket to Larkin connection is already a trend. Debrinket, Larkin, Raymond, Sider on the power play is already a trend. Like the Red Wings power play in general is already trending in a way where they actually look dangerous out there. Like it is not too soon to get excited about this. Like this is a real thing where, yeah, Red Wings fans should be excited about their best players coming out, meshing together right away and performing together right away. So I've noticed one very interesting trend throughout this preseason, specifically with that line and specifically with that line on the power play. We haven't seen that 
patented Debrinket one-timer no. shot all that much. No. But what's been happening is the opposing PK has really been shading him. Mm-hmm. And that has given Raymond and Cider a lot of really good looks on the other parts of the umbrella because they're shading Debrinket's side. There's been, you know, that waterfall formation where Raymond comes up high, comes down low, pass goes over to him, and he can skate into the shot, especially against Washington last game. That was open a lot. And he took, he did take a bunch of those shots and they led to chances. Or what would happen is when that chance came available, they would over commit to that. And then Cider, who scored a goal on this exact play, was able to drop a little lower at the top of the umbrella for a perfect one-timer. You often don't want to settle for a point shot, but if the point shot's from five to 10 feet closer in from the top of the umbrella with decent traffic in front, oh yeah, you're going to take that shot lots. And obviously Cider buried one of them, so it works. So the Red Wings could have this interesting dynamic of do they let do the opponents let Debrinket tee off or do they just let the other side of the power play kind of do whatever they want? And then the few times where Debrinket has got open, they haven't known what to do with it because he took a couple shots, mm-hmm. but also twice this preseason, he's fired it right across the crease to Larkin yeah. for an empty net. So. Identical goals, Debrinket across the crease to Larkin, who buries it. And this was kind of the point we were making. I, I remember right when the Red Wings traded for Debrinket was, yes, he's an elite shooter, but because he's an elite shooter, it's going to open up other things. And we're already seeing that. And it's not like... You know, years of Red Wings past where, God, you have Timu Pulkinen on the other side struggling to hit the net. You have Cider, Raymond, and Larkin. as We believed in Timu Pulkinen, but But, yeah. Yeah, now you have actual talent who can absolutely take advantage of all this extra ice they're getting. So it's been really, really fascinating to watch because I don't remember the last time the Red Wings had anybody where the opponents actually had to game plan for them. Honestly. And, you know, anyone who's watched hockey for any period of time will know this, but sometimes we you get questions from people who are newer to the sport. And it's a fair question, which is, you know, if a player is one of the only good players on his team, let, let's say Larkin for most of his career with the Red Wings, why isn't he getting more points? Because that's where all the production is coming from. He's getting the most minutes, et cetera. It's, hockey as a game is not designed that way. Like You pull pressure off of you on the ice, and it makes a world of difference. Like, the, the knock-on effects of getting one elite player and what that does for your other good to elite players and generating that space, generating the coverage. We've talked until the sun has gone down and come up again about how teams have game-planned for Lucas Raymond and they're just collapsing on him and taking away his time and space. And yeah, he's had to work on finding space and getting stronger and releasing his shot quicker, et cetera, et cetera. But he also has a disproportionate amount of, of coverage on him because there was almost no one else to cover. There was Larkin and that's essentially it on his line. So, yeah, totally right. Bringing in Debrinket changes the game and unlocks facets to other good to elite players on the Red Wings games that weren't present before. And that's that's part of, you know, success begets success and winning begets winning and getting better. It leads to more of your own players that you already had getting better. That's the the calculation that, you know, it's never really a hard move to try to bring in a good player to your team. But when you're like, why would you spend assets rather than try to draft these guys? Well, this is how you accelerate getting better as a team. It is, it's just some preseason games, but they have looked so good. And individually as well, like Raymond just looks, it looks like all the things that we said he had to work on in the offseason has come together. He looks like a stronger skater. 
He's making an impact out there. Larkin looks like he's just picked up where he left off, like you mentioned about Debrinket. Sider scoring twice on the power play like the exact same way. All good signs to see. A thousand percent. Whatever Mo Sider's uh, goal total is this year, take the over. Yeah. Because again, I'll take that. The early indications are, uh, you know, because that's the whole point of a power play. You can only cover so many people. And it seems like teams are shading the half walls more than the top of the key. And Cider is more than happy to tee off when that happens. And same vein as Debrinket on offense, Gosses Bear on defense on the yep. power play as well. Yep. Cross Hannes had himself a good game. Yeah, he did. I thought, you know, he's a pl- he's a player, we've said this in the past, but when he was drafted, like high skill, unsure if he'd make it, but if he did, it looked like he might be a guy who'd be able to make an impact in the NHL. Still undetermined on whether or not he'll be able to actually make the show, but he had himself a good game, and it's interesting to watch him start to be noticeable in the preseason now. He's like, he's in the mix of guys who are on the fringe of the Red Wings. The Red Wings have a million third liners in the system and on the team. Yeah. But people still have to win those spots yep. for this year, next year, and for the next five years. And, you know, is Cross Hannes eventually going to be in the same tier as a Soderblom, uh, Berggren, uh, Valeno? Uh, yeah, maybe. So if he can start, you know, catching up now, that's not a bad thing for his uh, future. And, you know, uh, Berggren and Soderblom didn't have bad games, but they weren't noticeable. Mm-hmm. Hannes had a few noticeable moments, so... You know, little things like that aren't going to set the Red Wings' trajectory for the next five years, but every viewing is a viewing, and eventually they start adding up. So, yep, it, no better time to start than the present. And as injuries pile up and as players are either traded or, you know, let's say he outcompetes Soderblom for a spot or whatever, like, this is the kind of thing, like, this is where that path starts. And we've said a million times, it's not just the first and second round picks that need to hit on this in this draft. Or it's not just the first round picks, but second, third, and fourth rounds and onwards. You're going to need to find some NHL players out of those. So hopefully he continues on that on that path forward. So we're talking mostly just now about the September 30th game against Washington in Detroit where they won 5-2. Goal scorers, Zarnick, Sider, Larkin, Hannes, and Larkin again. The previous game, also against Washington, was a 4-3 loss. Daniel Sprong scored a nice goal where he outweighed the goalie off of a nice pass by Simon Edvinson that got through. It, it took a few deflections off some sticks, but good pass, and, and Sprong was really smart. Showed why he was efficient in scoring for Seattle the year previous. And other goal scorers for Detroit within like the last three minutes of the game were Robbie Fabry, Robbie Fabry again, and nearly Robbie Fabry making it a hat trick in three minutes. Like He came close to that. So Fabry fires to home and you're like, okay, great. Cause Fabry's coming off an injury. That's exactly what you want to see him, you know, picking up his scoring in a way where you're like, yes, the Red Wings are going to have middle six production from Fabry and Fabry left the second game against Washington injured and didn't return. And we were all like, Oh my God, again, thankfully, and this is weird to say, it's not good that he's injured, but thankfully it's not lower body. It was an upper body injury. So you're, it's not his knee again. And it doesn't look like it's going to be long-term. Derek Lalonde said if he's not back soon, they're expecting early sometime next week in and around there. So hopefully we see Fabry back soon. The Red Wings dropped the puck in about two minutes at the time of recording right now against the Chicago Blackhawks. So next episode, we'll tell you all about how Nate Danielson shut down Connor Bedard all game. I'm sure. Well, uh, Ken and Mick were telling the story on the broadcast last night about the Red Wings actually interviewed Connor Bedard mm-hmm. as one of the prospect interviews, knowing full damn well that they weren't getting him, but apparently asked him a lot of Nate Danielson and Western Hockey League 
related questions. And Bedard is on record as saying Danielson was the toughest to play against. So that means something. Like, I know it's just like a throwaway adage or it's like a throwaway anecdotal remark, but when the best player out of a draft class and one of the best players the NHL has seen come out of the draft in a long time says, yeah, this guy was extremely tough to play against, that's a really good sign. And he was saying it to an Eastern Conference team, so it's not like he was trying to, oh, yeah, I would love, oh, man, I sure would hate to play against this guy seven times a year. Wouldn't have been one of those instances. Yeah, no. Connor Bedard, you hate to give the Blackhawks any credit. But Connor Bedard's pretty funny in interviews, hey? He's got a really good dry sense of humor, which yeah. is something that McDavid and Crosby could have really used because they have the personalities that they could nail it. Bedard has the same personality, but he he has it. So yeah. there's a bit of optimism there that this might not just be the, uh, you know, nothing burger quote machine. And overseas, you know, we talked about Nate Danielson and how well he's doing here. Axel Sandin Pelica crushing it. In the SHL. Four game point streak coming into October. Three goals and an assist. Looks absolutely fantastic through six games. Seems to be scoring. Uh, I think Prashanth noted this like a lot of the same way from that left side on the point. He looks like the Sandine Pelica we are excited about when the Red Wings drafted him. And he looks absolutely like one of the Red Wings best prospects already. It's early like so far, but he looks to be electric. Totally serious, legitimate question that I need an honest answer, honest answer for. How soon is too soon to do a victory lap on a prospect? Well, we do get dunked on when we're wrong for good reason. So whenever you're getting dunked on too hard, just make sure you have that in your back pocket. Okay. I'm going to, yeah. 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 So, I'm going to have this one locked and loaded for a couple of years. So the uh, Red Wing social media team, when you have your wealthy pick of of us being absolutely wrong in your montage videos, make sure you get a, some good ones, which they have in the past. Credit to them. Yeah. They have, it's like, yes, we were absolutely wrong about Cider, but hey, we got the Raymond stuff right. And uh, so the Sandine Pelico should balance it out, I think. A hundred percent. No, but he, what he could inject into this defense and offense from the defense is you know, just look back to any of our, our episodes from when he was drafted. Like, there's a reason people were excited about him. We talked about, you know, having Danielson and Sandine Pelica. It almost doesn't matter which order you they were drafted in. And if he made us predict without knowing, we might have said the inverse. Sandine Pelica, then Danielson. And the Red Wings walking away with both of these guys from the same draft class, that could be a massive win when other draft classes that they've had are looking a little bit tougher to see what the future might be or it's a little murkier that these guys might pan out. Yeah, had a few of those. Thanks for bringing that up, Ryan. Yeah, well, can't all be sunshine (laughs) and roses. But no, Sandine Pelica is going to be this year's player overseas to watch as he lights it up, it looks like. All right, before we jump into our interview with Daniela, I actually wanted to make a note here um, and pass along our condolences to Ben Sherratt and the entire Sherratt family on the passing of his father, uh, Matthew Sherratt. So we know Ben was away from the team for personal reasons earlier in the preseason um, and unfortunately, um, his father, Matthew, passed away at the age of 60. Um, our thoughts and hearts go out to the entire Sherratt family. Okay, enough words from us. Let's hear now from Daniela Bruce, who joins us on the show again. Daniela is a broadcast reporter for the Detroit Red Wings and the Detroit Tigers. So big day for her. Miguel Cabrera's last day with the Tigers, a big big day for the city of Detroit and Detroit sports, but more on that later. So uh, Daniela and I talked about the upcoming Red Wings season 
and expectations and prospect camp and everything like that. So without further ado, let's hear from Daniela Bruce, broadcast reporter for the Detroit Red Wings. Daniela, I actually said to you, how is your summer going? But in like a couple days here, it's going to be October. Where did time go? How was your summer? Summer was great. Obviously, I was a little busier than I normally am covering the Tigers this year, but it was all really good. I enjoyed the job, and I also did get some free time, got to go on a couple trips up north and all of that. So it was a good but very, very quick summer. It went by faster than normal, which is extremely fast. And I guess it's it's a good thing that the Tigers are keeping you busy later this year. I know a lot of that is to do with Miggy retiring and everything, but here's to hoping that gets better year over year, yeah? Yeah, I have my fingers crossed for some meaningful October baseball in the coming years. So I'd be okay with being busy if that's the case. Folks, we are joined again, uh, once again, by Daniela Bruce, broadcast reporter for the Detroit Red Wings and the Tigers. Uh, you've heard her on 97.1 The Ticket. You've seen her on Red Wings broadcasts. Uh, Daniela, welcome back to the show. You ready for another hockey season here? I am. I kind of can't believe it's already here, but very excited for everything that we have to look forward to as Red Wings fans this year. It's going to be a big season. So we were chatting a little bit before we hit record here in that it's a little bit of a peculiar year. Listeners will know this narrative by now that the team is better, but the division around them is better too. So it's kind of hard to know what to expect. You know, just overall broad strokes here. What do you make of the team coming into the season based on how you felt, you know, 365 days ago? I'm going to tell you right now, Charlie's right here. She's She wants to make an appearance. If you can if you're, hear that. This is our first Charlie. I'm not editing yeah, that out. This wait, is our first Charlie appearance. It's so good every time I do this. Come here. Come up here. Come here. Those on you YouTube are going to get a little. Yeah. Hello, Charlie. Wow. She's small girl. Yeah. Very small girl. Yeah. <laughs> she's bigger than her mom. That's <laughs> what we always joke. Okay. Now you have to get down. All right. Sorry about that. But um, getting back to the Red Wings, yes, I'm really excited for the changes that they made this offseason. I think everyone was impressed with what Steve Eiserman was able to pull off, not only in free agency, but obviously the Alex DeBrinkett trade, the Jeff Petrie trade. This is a much deeper Red Wings team than we've seen in the last handful of years. We're not going to panic if there's an injury or two, because that's inevitably going to happen in a hockey season. And I think they're more talented too. There's more grit, there's more talent, and we're definitely deeper. So there should be, on paper, a better season, right? I know that you've talked about this a lot, that a lot of things have to fall the Red Wings way when their entire division is improving. And then you're hoping that some of the teams at the top, like the Tampas, the Boston, Toronto, kind of take a step back, right? So there's a lot that has to go their way, but we should see some more competitive and some more compelling hockey this season. Now, there was the prospect tournament, and then there was training camp, and it helped illuminate a little bit of what to expect for the Red Wings this year. The story is, in general, is that, like you mentioned, the team is a lot better, and that's by way of having you know NHL-ready players on the roster, or presumably on the roster. And that means a harder path for the rookies who are trying to break into the team. Any kind of storyline sticking out for you for those young guys trying to break into the team right now? What does Edvinson, uh, Casper, folks like that have ahead of them? I think the most interesting is going to be what happens for Elmer Soderblom, because we know that last season he made it on the opening night roster, 
And he had a really good camp. He had a great prospect tournament. He had a good camp. He was paired with some NHLers throughout camp at times. And I think it's just going to be interesting to see if he cracks that lineup. Where does he fit in if he does fit in at all into the the Red Wings forward core? You don't want to bring him up on the team if there's any chance that you're going to scratch him, right? So that that's not going to happen. And is it a better fit for him to start in Grand Rapids? Is it a better fit to bring him up? So that will be an interesting one as the preseason continues. I think we'll get a better look at where Elmer stands. But Simon Ed Vincent is another one that I would consider maybe one of those bubble players because of the moves that Steve Eiserman made. We talked about that depth. Is it better for Simon Edvinson to just go to GR and season himself a little bit more and then maybe get the call up somewhere throughout the season? Or does he start in Detroit? Those are the two that I would really, really watch, though. I fully expect that a guy like Marco Casper is going to start the season in Grand Rapids just to see how he adjusts there, how he plays there, because we saw him only for one game in the NHL last year, which he was good in. He was definitely good. But I think he's going to need some time in GR to get fully ready and fully NHL ready. But I would be looking at Simon Edmondson and Elmer Soderblom as kind of the bubble players. And I would lean more towards Grand Rapids if I had to make my pick right now. And that's only because of the players that were added during the offseason and the way this team has kind of built a nice core. You probably want to start with some of those ready NHLers. Now let's talk about those players that were added in the offseason. The, the highlight marquee player is is Alex DeBrinkett, you know, the hometown kid finally coming home to play for Detroit. I know we've been talking about that hypothetically for years. What does that do to the makeup of the Red Wings forward core? I know it means a lot for Larkin and Raymond to potentially have him on the first line with them or, or you know, Raymond might bump down the lineup. How does that change the calculus for the Red Wings offense coming into the season? Well, it's no secret that the Red Wings need to score more goals, right? So number one, it hopefully does that. We've seen him score 40 goals in a season before, so hopefully he adds there. We saw a nice connection between him and Dylan Larkin in the preseason already, so we like to see that kind of stuff. But again, I know I'm probably beating a dead horse here, but it's the depth. When you look at the forward core now, you can put together two and three really solid lines. Maybe even that fourth line is going to be something to mess with. You know, They want to build a grinder-type line. Clem Costin is another underrated player. Daniel Sprong, underrated. We've seen him throughout camp and a couple preseason games. Well, he's only played in one preseason game. What he can bring to an offense. We've got that balanced scoring, hopefully, throughout the lineup where you didn't really see that in the past couple of years. You were really dependent on those top two lines to make sure, and really the top line, to make sure that scoring was even happening at all. So to make that a little bit more balanced and hopefully see it throughout all four lines, Ken and I brought up on the stream just a couple of examples of teams like Vegas and Seattle, where Daniel Sprong came from, how their scoring was really balanced throughout the season. And those teams obviously have found some success. And that looks like where the Red Wings are trying to go. They want all four lines to be talented, to be able to score, and you can rely on all of them. And I think adding the players like Alex Dabrinkit, Daniel Sprong, Christian Fischer, Fischer Clem Costin, JT Comfer, that adds that to this Red Wings forward core. So hopefully we see some balance as we move forward. So you you brought up there the notion that uh, the Red Wings are going to try to add scoring by you know coming together as a team and being greater than the sum of their parts. Kind of like the Islanders, kind of like the Seattle Kraken, as you mentioned, have done in the past. There's you know concern amongst the fan base, with some of the fan base, I'd say, is, uh, is that possible? Is that realistic? Because so much of the rest of the division has so much, you know, high-end firepower. And it's not through the fault of of anyone but, you know, having less lottery luck than other teams. Do you, what do you make of the the kind of notion that the Red Wings are, are asking for too much of their offensive core right now? And they don't necessarily have the talent level and individual players to achieve the scoring that they need. 
Well, I think you kind of hit on it. They have to work with what they have and that has there is no real option to that unless you make a trade for a big superstar, which I guess isn't out of the realm of possibility in a couple of years if that's what you think this team really needs. But right now, this is our team and that's who you have on your roster. And the lottery, we can go back to that all the time, but the Red Wings don't have a top three pick in all of these years that they finished in the lottery. They were a lottery team. They never got one. And you hope Lucas Raymond takes a step forward and you hope Alex Dabrinkit can be that guy. Dylan Larkin may not be the, the bona fide superstar that everybody wants him to be, but he's improved every single year that he's been a Red Wing. And if we keep seeing that from him, I think we're in good shape. And is it asking too much? It might be, but that's that's their job, right? They've got to go out there and they've got to prove that they can compete with the superstar talent. And the teams that have the superstar talent, they might not have that balanced four lines that we're going to talk about with the Red Wings and that we have been talking about. So hopefully that does pose some sort of advantage for them too. And they added players that are good defensively. That's the other thing. You want to see how these guys are going to match up with some of the superstars on the top lines of other teams. And I think the Red Wings are going to be tough to play against. It's not going to be a cakewalk for the McDavid's of the world, the Austin Matthews of the world to come into Detroit and get a win. I'm going to talk about a player who I know you love to to root for and you're a big proponent of, Michael Rasmussen. Mm-hmm. He came back for his first preseason game and the impact was noticeable right away in my mind. I know it's just preseason and I tell people all the time, don't take anything home from that. But what kind of a difference does the you know new and improved Michael Rasmussen make to this Red Wings team in terms of the mentality, the physicality, and, and the impact he has on the ice? I think it's going to be even more this year than it was last season. Once he learned how to play with his size and he picked up his skating skills, he's faster, he's stronger. It really impacted the team. When he went down last year, you saw it almost immediately that he was a key piece to this offense. And now this year, I think he's going to be able to thrive on the wing all season because of the moves that were made, the players that were added. And that's where, even though he, there's still some, chance he could play center. But with this lineup, I think he's going to get that time on the wing. Derek Lalone has alluded to it, that he's going to play on the wing. And that's where he thrived last year. So I think the impact from Michael Rasmussen is not only going to happen, but it's a key to the success. We just talked about not having that superstar. You need your players, your homegrown developed talent to take steps forward this year. And Michael Rasmussen is included in that mix. I know I mentioned Lucas Raymond. Those are key guys that we need to take that step forward and play to the ability that we know that they can for this team to be successful. Now, you mentioned Rasmussen on the wing, and and part of that you know, being allowed is because they have so many players who can play center. Mm-hmm. Joe Valeno is competing for one of those four center spots. And even though he just signed a contract, it's not necessarily a given that Joe's going to be on the team this year. He's going to have to have himself a good preseason, and, and hopefully things shake out his way. What do you think Joe Valeno has to do this season to kind of cement his spot as part of the Red Wings' future? Joe Valeno is one of those guys that plays hard. He always plays hard and he is noticeable when he's out there, but I think he has to prove that he has the skill. He can score a little bit more because that's the type of player that they drafted in Joe Valeno and he hasn't quite gotten to that point, but the speed and the strength is there. So I just think he needs to refine his skills and show that he has a little bit more than what we've seen out of him in the past couple of years. It is a very interesting, obviously it's only a one-year deal for him. So this is a big season for Valeno. I think he just needs to show that he can play a more well-rounded game rather than just that grinder fourth line role that we saw him in last season. And another player who's kind of competing for, I don't want to call it a fringe spot, but one of the the sparse spots on the team Uh, Jonathan Berggren, obviously a talented player, came in and made a splash last year. 
I said a couple episodes ago, I think the Red Wings really should prioritize keeping him in the lineup because of his talent, but he's going to need to have himself a good preseason. It's only been one game. It didn't look kind of the best out there. And I think a lot back to what Derek Lalone and Steve Eisenman have said, which is that they want to be a big, strong, tough team to play against. Berggren's not really positioned that way in his his size or the way he plays. So, you know, what does he have to do to kind of uh, get past all those bigger, tougher players in the lineup? He has to be a stud during preseason, I think. I think he has to have a better game than, like you said, what we saw in the first one. But again, it, it is just preseason. You can't put put too much weight into that. The decisions I'm glad that I don't have to make are where you put these guys, right? Because what is super beneficial for Jonathan Berggren himself? Like, is it him going to Grand Rapids and developing a little bit more? Or is it sticking him into the lineup, maybe in a bottom six role and having him learn here at the NHL level? And those, like I said, are decisions I don't have to make. And you have to decide as a management staff what's better for him. The thing that he needs to do is prove that it's clear he belongs into the in the NHL. And I think he does. I think you're right. I think it would benefit him more to, to be here. But again, some of those additions we made this year, like the Sprongs, Costins, Christian Fisher, all these forwards that are added to the mix – it makes that decision a little bit more difficult. But I don't think, again, and I say this all the time, I don't think anyone should look at it as a bad thing or that the player isn't good or isn't developing if they end up starting the season in Grand Rapids because we've talked about it a ton already. There are some real solid NHLers on the roster now. So who's a player who we haven't talked about so far who you think is going to be uh, integral in the Red Wings' potential success this year, like a depth player or, or someone who maybe could have a, a dark horse performance this season that could really move the needle for them. Am I allowed? To, you said dark horse, so I can't say Mo Sider, but obviously Mo Sider is going to be a, a huge part of the the develop. His development is has yeah. never been a question. He's been great, and hopefully he takes another step forward. But I think goaltending. We haven't talked goaltending yet, and I'm going to use that as a whole because we know Vili Huso is going to take that number one job. But the backup is going to be super important. Whether that ends up being Reimer or Lyon, that's yet to be determined. But you have to assume that this backup will probably take 30-ish games. We saw Huso hit that 50 goal mark and his performance slid a little bit. But again, that's his first year taking on that workload. He was under a lot of pressure and there was a lot asked of him as a first year number one goaltender. So hopefully he improves a little bit and he's a little bit stronger and has the endurance to go a little bit longer. But let's expect that 30 game mark from your backup goaltender. You want to see them win 15 games, right? At least. So it's it's going to be really important who becomes that backup goaltender. I like both Lyon and Reimer, so they'll probably battle it out a little bit to see who gets that position. And there's always the case that they carry three goaltenders because we saw that last season too. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you to predict, you know, where the Red Wings are going to finish in the division. Obviously, we'd all we'd love yeah. them to finish higher than everyone's expecting, but you know, let's work with the hypothetical that they do improve, but so does Ottawa and Buffalo around them, and they kind of stay where they are. With that, you know being put forward, how do you measure success for the Red Wings this season? In a season where you can get better and still not be any further down the track, what do you take away to, to as a fan to say, this is positive progress? You need to compete all the way through the season. I think we need to be in March talking about are the Red Wings going to be in, in a wild card spot? Are they going to make the playoffs? And hopefully they're better than that. I'm not saying that it's not possible because we know that it is. Anything can happen. We've seen stranger things in the NHL. This team is better. They are just in a very, very tough division. When you look at the Tampa's Boston, I mean, they're going to take a step back, but 
Obviously, they're going to take a step back after the season they had last year. How big is that step back? And we've talked about the improvements of Buffalo and Ottawa, and then you've got Toronto as well. So their division is stacked. And I just think you need to be competitive, not only within your division, obviously outside of it, and you need to be competing for a wild card spot at, at late points in the season. And Steve Eiserman mentioned in his pre-training camp press conference that it's a sign that you're coming out of the rebuild if you're not selling at the deadline, right? So that's a huge thing too. We want this team to be competitive at the deadline and not wanting to collect assets at that point. We want to be making a push to get one of those playoff spots. Now, Daniela, we've you've obviously been with the team for a long time. We've been doing this for a long time. I've always said that those few weeks to a month last year where the Red Wings kind of control their playoff destiny just changed the way I thought about the team. Because the the thought before was you rebuild, 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 and you don't go until you have all the assets you need. And then once you get that taste of winning, I don't know, it's like you feel the buzz in the building and you feel the buzz in the fan base and you're like, no, you need as much of that as you can um, as early as possible. What do you make of that having, you know, you're you're more tapped into the team than I think anyone else. So what do you make of that? I think it is 100% real. Everything that you just said, the players feel it. The coaches feel it. Everybody feels the energy that surrounded that team. What was that like mid-February or end of February? So around that area where they were before the Ottawa games, right? Before those two Ottawa games and they mm-hmm. were pushing and they were making it interesting and they're like, okay, it's still possible. You're chasing that wild card spot. They even sat in a wild card spot at one point. And David Perron, who's a veteran on this team, obviously, and has the experience, has the cup experience, has the playoff experience. He kept reminding the young players about that feeling, what it felt like to to chase the playoff spot, what it felt like to be in that, what the energy was like. And a lot of times you hear players say, oh, we don't really talk about the standings. We don't look at the standings all that much. But David Perron made it a point to let's remember this feeling. Let's know that we want to get back here. So it's big for them. And I think it's something they're going to be talking about at the beginning of the season. And especially with all the young players that we have, the taste of that, the experience in that, you're going to want more of it, right? So let's just hope that they can take those steps forward and make that a longer feeling this season. You obviously are more tapped into the the dressing room and you obviously talk to Derek Lalone and Steve Eisenman. Does it fuel them at all to know that, you know, outside punditry or, or meatheads like us were looking at the team saying, yes, they're better, but it's going to be a tough road. Maybe sixth or seventh in the, in the division is the best that they can do. Does that kind of drive the team and, and piss them off a bit? I think it does. I don't think anybody wants to read preseason predictions that they're at the bottom of the division again and that everybody's already writing you off and that it's maybe a wild card spot at best. Nobody wants to really hear that. And I also don't want that to be the measurement for the Red Wings this year at the same time. So it's it's kind of a weird balance right there because I feel like that's where they're at mm. too. Who cares what everybody's saying? We can prove everybody wrong and be the best that we can be. And maybe that is good enough to take a top three spot in the division, or maybe that is good enough to solidify a wild card spot early in this one. But maybe it's not, and that's also okay. So it's a very fine line for them, I think, because they're trying to coach this team as play better defensively. Let's start to score more goals. Let's take the steps to being a better team. And at the end of the year, when we look at this season, we want to say we were really competitive. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that that's a playoff team this year. Pretty much what this is all adding up to is that this should be an exciting year one way or the other. And this is actually one of the first seasons where I think the Red Wings have real tangible expectations and they have to build on something successful from the year previous. So 
uh, th- there are stakes now for the first time in what seven eight years. So uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, you're going to be a big part of that, Daniela. Can you let the uh, listeners know where they're going to be able to see and hear you for the upcoming season? Yes, definitely. So this year, if you listen to any Tigers games on the radio, I'm sure you heard me in my reporter role with Dan Dickerson and whoever the color analyst was for us. Obviously, Jim Price, we lost him earlier in the season, which was really a sad moment for all of us, all of Tigers fans. But Andy Dirks has been filling in and doing a great job. So getting to work alongside those guys and serve in a reporter role has been Absolutely incredible. And I'm going to do the same for the Red Wings alongside Ken Kell and Paul Woods this season. So on 97 won the ticket, you will hear me or wherever you're listening to in the state of Michigan, all the affiliates, I will be on there with them. And then I'll also keep you guys updated online as well. I'll be doing all my digital work that I've done with the Red Wings for years. So that's not going anywhere, but a new addition to the radio broadcast, which I'm really, really excited for. Well, thank you, Daniela. We're going to be chatting plenty this season. Uh, Absolutely. But for now, thank you for joining the show. Folks at Daniela Bruce underscore on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, Instagram as well. Daniela, thank you so much to you and to Charlie for joining the show today. And uh, let's have a good year. Yeah, Charlie really wanted to make her wing wheel pod debut. So yes, you guys all got that. But thank you so much for having us, Ryan. All right. And that was our conversation with Daniela Bruce. We had that conversation on Friday. And obviously, since then, she's worked the entire weekend with the Tigers, covering Miguel Cabrera's final games with the Detroit Tigers. And his last one actually wrapped up just as we started recording here. So congrats to Miggy on a an incredible career, 3,000 hit club, 500 homers. He's going to be missed, although it is cool to see that he's going to stay with Detroit in their front office. That was actually, I was a, it was a pleasant surprise to see that. So, man, that's... Uh, Eras are ending in Detroit sports. I think Prashanth texted. He did. The longest tenured athlete in Detroit right now, Dylan Larkin. (laughs) Is that not insane? 27-year-old Dylan Larkin. Is that not absolutely insane? I don't know what to make of that. It's not good. It's definitely not good. It's a little scary. It makes me feel, I think 20 more hairs just went gray just hearing that. I remember covering Larkin's entrance into the Red Wings. Like, we talked about that on this podcast. Oh, boy. Anyhow, let's... Uh, hold on. Are we more t- the most tenured thing in Detroit <laughs> sports right now? No, 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 no. He was drafted before we started, but yeah, he but didn't Ken and Mick play. Are, Ken and Mick are the most tenured thing in Detroit sports right now. That's fair, yeah. Yeah, That's Ken fair. and Mick are mo- the most tenured... So the most tenured things in Detroit sport, we should probably figure those. So Ken and Mick are number one. Yeah. Misery is number two. <laughs> and then us. Yeah, we're somewhere in there. Yeah. That feels about right. I think we're in misery though, technically. It's like um two A, two B thing. Yeah, yeah. When we hit that decade mark, we're gonna really feel old. We're only like a year and a couple months away from that. Oh, Congratulations, we think, on 10 years of the Wind Wheel podcast, question mark. All right, let's jump into our Pacific Division preview because this is getting depressing. The Pacific Division, as we mentioned with the Central, which was last episode, is an interesting one because there's a few teams who are standouts in terms of, yeah, they're still in their heyday. They are. If you had to pick anyone out of this division, these are the, the teams that are going to lock up the divisional seeds maybe some cup contenders in there, but the Western Conference as a whole is kind of wide open. Like a lot of players can make plays for 
a third divisional seed or a wild card spot. So let's take a look at the Pacific Division and let's start with the Anaheim Ducks because that's an easy one-ish. Interesting team, very firmly in the middle of a rebuild. They don't have Trevor Zegras signed. How? Why? I I could do a 20-minute about how absurd that whole situation is. But yeah, he wants a bridge deal and you have infinity cap space. Pay the man. Yeah. Yeah, they added Alex Kalorn, who I think just broke his thumb or something like that. Yeah. And Radko Gudas, which was an interesting signing. Radko got his money. He got paid out there. But very much a team that's not poised to be good this year. Like, if you had to make a pick for last in the division, they're probably the leading favorite in most people's minds. Have you seen San Jose's Yeah. Line? We'll get to that. They're now. the only other team, I think, who would be firmly in that mix. But Anaheim's story is easy. They're loading up for the future. Yes, they have Zegras in theory. Yes, they have McTavish. They have other pieces to be excited about, you know, Drysdale, etc. But as of right now, they're probably not going to be a team that's going to factor into anything this year. It's very much like a much lighter Connor Bedardless version of Chicago. Uh, Gibson as well, what's his future? In net, is he going to be a goalie who's going to be a solution for another team looking for a, a starting goalie? Anaheim's not going to be a contender. The most interesting storylines are going to be how are their prospects going to do and, you know, is Gibson going to get traded somewhere? That's exactly it. There's, they're in that Chicago camp of, they're going to be bad, but they're okay with it because they're going to be fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Good and bad ways they are going to be fun. So if you're ever watching, you know, having one of those nights you can't sleep and you're going to stay up and watch some late night hockey, a lot of goals in the Anaheim games going both ways, so... Not a bad way to kill some time, but yeah, this is a development year for them. They need Zegris, McTavish, Drysdale, Leo Carlson just to show them that this could be yeah. the makings of a core for the future, which they should be, assuming they have contracts. But yeah, that's that's their entire season. If I'm a Ducks fan, I would not care about anything else. Yeah. It's fun to watch. Like it is good for them that they have fun players. Like Troy Terry as well. I don't think we yeah. mentioned. So yeah, fresh off, he got his bag. He did. He did get his payday. I will say the whole Pat Verbeek being, you know, he was a former assistant GM with the Red Wings. He came with Steve Eisman over from Tampa Bay. He's been referred to as Eisman Light. Grinding. We'll talk about Zegers later. But the the whole grinding every player thing. Watching it from the outside, and I wonder if this is what other teams and fans think about the Red Wings where they grind their own players internally. So we'll see. It almost makes you wonder how the the Cider and Raymond negotiations are going or will go. So The Larkin contract probably saves the Red Wings a little bit of face versus what's going on in Anaheim. Yeah. But then again, you can make the argument about the Troy Terry contract as well. So, you know, tomato, tomato. Other team that is poised to be last in the division and will be fighting Anaheim, the San Jose Sharks. Very much having to turn things around. Traded Eric Carlson, so that's obviously a, a massive loss. Their 100-point player. But overall, this is not a team that's they're going to be among the league's worst and will be you know vying for the you know Celebrini draft lottery. Off the top of my head, I'm not a 1,000% sure who their goalies are. Kakinen and Blackwood. <clears throat> I could not tell you what their top pairing on defense is going to be. Uh, Ferraro will be there. Yeah, Mario Ferraro is probably the only capable defenseman on this team. Might be like Benning or Ruda or 
Yeah, it's this is good God. And I heard Logan Couture's hurt. So and they traded Timo Meyer. They still have Tomas Hurdle. They have Anthony Declare, who I like. Hi, uh, who's definitely getting traded at the deadline. Yeah. Hey, how can we forget Phillips Dina? He might be on their first line. Yeah. Um William Eklund as well. Rookie. How much can you really expect from him? These guys might be historically bad. This could be a rough year. This could be the worst defensive team in the modern era of the NHL. All the makings of it are right there. No goaltending, no defense, no Selkie contenders up front. Like, this could get bad. And they don't even have a solid prospect core. Like, Anaheim fans have a reason to watch. Mm -hmm. If you're a Sharks fan, what are you doing this year? This is like the Red Wings when they were old, bad, fresh out of it. San Jose is going through it now because they're fresh out of the playoffs, old and bad. Vancouver Canucks, one of the most entertaining media markets to follow. What's going to happen to that team? You're always like, what's going to happen in three years to the Vancouver Canucks? Elias Pettersson needs, is going to need to be paid. Quinn Hughes is captain now. They brought in Susie. They had Philip Hronick last year. They traded for him. He was hurt almost that time, but... How's Hronik going to fit in there? The team's not devoid of talent, but it seems like they're always paying to play at a level that they can't actually play at. They're going to need to show that they can be competitive if they want to keep Pedersen long-term. You know, they're running out of control over that contract, so it's going to be a big year for them, and I don't know how well they're poised to perform in that division. We know mostly what Vancouver is as a team. We know they've got the superstar up front in Pedersen, you know, the offensive dynamo on the back end and Quinn Hughes. I, you know, trade be what it is. I do for their roster like the additions of Philip Ronick and Carson Soucy. Their depth is still a problem. But I think the big thing for Vancouver this year above all else is because I think they've got like a mediocre to okay roster, Mm -hmm. but they have a potential star in net. And Demko obviously didn't have the year he wanted last year between injuries and just never looked right. But Demko has the capability of being a star. Mm-hmm. And if Pedersen is Pedersen, Hughes is Hughes, and their depth is at least adequate, this is a team that could make the playoffs. Because again, they have difference makers. They're almost the inverse of what the Red Wings are, where the superstars at the key positions are set and they have not much around them. You know, not that they're devoid of talent, but like, you all know what I mean. But I'm curious to see what Vancouver can do this year because I think Fairly or unfairly, it almost entirely hinges on Demko. Pod Colson's an interesting player, too, for their depth. I think if he really pops off, that that changes the game. I agree with what you said on Demko. One of the things that drives me insane the most about hockey fandom is that once a great goalie has an off year, which find a great goalie who hasn't had an off year, people write him off. It's like Demko is an all-world talent when he's on, and we've seen it. You can't write him off this early. With Pedersen, I'm watching him so intently. At the end of the season, he is in a restricted free agent still with arbitration rights, but in Vancouver, we'll be looking up to buy up you know, UFA years in there too. He's going to be an expensive player, man. And they their timing on this one's interesting too because it's not like they're signing him this past offseason. He's going to come in once the cap increases start too. It's going to be a pricey contract. We should hope Vancouver goes off a cliff this year, right? Oh, absolutely. Because then Pedersen won't want to be there. Exactly. And the Red Wings are at that point. They need to take a swing. That would be the blockbuster of all blockbusters. And it's the one where it's not so crazy it just might work. It's it's so crazy you have to try. 
If Pedersen goes to Vancouver, I am not signing anything longer than what walks me directly to free agency. If I hear that and I'm Steve Eisenman, <laughs> hey, Vancouver, whatever you want, yeah. Elias, whatever number you want. Yeah. It's also like we're moving more into an era where star players and superstar players are empowered to control their contracts. And everyone's going to be pointing to what Austin Matthews did in Toronto. Not that everyone's Austin Matthews. There's yeah. very few who can do that. But still, they're going to say, he got his money, and he got his term, and he got his control. I want yep. all three as well. Yep. If Pedersen does become available, and again, before everybody starts flooding our mentions, however unlikely this actually is, if Pedersen goes, yeah, I want 11 mil a year for five years, and then I want another, you do it. Oh, You do it. You, you don't think twice. You do it. You don't even blink on your way sprinting to the printer to print out that contract. Yeah, thousand percent. The Seattle Kraken... A team that really came together last year in terms of being greater than the sum of their parts was among the best, if not the best in the league. They're going to be an interesting team to watch. You know, Matty Beneers up front has been a revelation. He has been poised to be great since he was drafted and was in his rookie season. Are they going to continue to get support and depth scoring? Obviously losing Sprong isn't great considering... The fact that he was so efficient in a depth role for them. Other departures are Susie, which is notable because Susie was really strong on defense for them. Morgan Geeky, etc. But what do you make of of Seattle, a team that's done smart pickups like uh, grabbing Tolvin in from Nashville and, and other moves? Like it's hard to to write them off just because they lost a little bit of scoring. Some of that should be counterbalanced by the natural progression of Maddie Beneers going into his second year. But they had what felt like an unsustainably high shooting percentage as a team last year. Vince Dunn and Jared McCann had career years where it would be fair to question if those are going to happen again. They lost the players that you mentioned. They didn't really add any. And their goaltending is awful. If there is a team with every hallmark for regression, this is it. They're a great team top to bottom, but... They're a team that's not built all that dissimilarly to the Red Wings, so the formula for just missing the playoffs could be there for Seattle this year, especially since, you know, you have L.A., Vancouver, Vegas, Edmonton, and Calgary all vying for those five playoff spots because I don't think there's a wild card coming out of the Central. Um, and they might end up being the sixth of those teams, potentially. A team that's the inverse for me is the Calgary Flames. Like they haven't, there's not been too much movement. Yeah, losing to Foley is absolutely not great. Like there was some roster movement, but that's a team to me where had they gotten halfway decent goaltending from their goaltender who was capable of a lot more earlier on in the season, it wouldn't have been close for them making the playoffs where, you know, last year they missed. And I don't think they should have. Not that they shouldn't have, but like they were a much better team and they just got sunk by, by goaltending with all of their problems. Obviously, New head coach, new GM. The problems in the locker room are hopefully resolved if you're a Calgary Flames fan. But this is a team to me that has way too much talent. They have Markstrom is way too good of a goalie. And they have goaltending depth behind him. I don't know. I, I see this as a team that's going to regress back to the mean in a positive way. Yeah, exactly. Markstrom had an uncharacteristically down year. So did Lindholm. So did Huberto. 
you know, say what you want and losing Daryl Sutter might be addition by subtraction. I think it is. Like, it very obviously affected the room to the point where the exit yeah. interviews were like, fire this guy, please. Yeah, a thousand percent. So, you know, yeah, I guess the inverse of Seattle is probably the best way to put it because all the earmarks of, hey, this team should get better just naturally. Didn't they have some kind of record, too, for losing? Ah, this is the one. They set the NHL record for losing games in games which they outshot the opponent. Jeez. So, again, all the signs that, hey, this team is actually better than what they were, are there. Yeah. It's going to fall down to Jonathan Huberto. That's a 100-point player who very obviously didn't mesh with his new team last year, didn't produce not nearly at the rate he should have. There's more talent there. Even if you think he, he's not truly a 100-point player and he just benefited from a strong Florida offensive team, et cetera, et cetera, there's more to him than what the Calgary Flames saw. So whether he's deployed differently, asked to play a different role, or, or just meshes better with his teammates, if he goes off, you think you have to think the whole team follows suit. Next team here, let's go LA Kings. LA, I, a lot of people are taking LA to win the division, actually, which is interesting. But they, this is a team who's making moves, and LA has been making moves for a while. The way they've kind of controlled their rebuild has been really interesting. Like they decided when they were coming out of it. And it's almost worked. Like, Kopitar now has another shot here to win a cup. They brought in Pierre-Luc Dubois when they all, we all thought he was going to Montreal. What are they doing with Quentin Byfield? Well, probably moving to the wing just because of all the centers that they have. They brought in Deneau previous to the season. Like, they have a roster where you're like, yep, this should be a playoff team. Should be. But I'm not sure I'm ready to write them in as a, a playoff or a division winner quite yet. You've seen that meme of the horse drawing where it's just like immaculate horse and it's this beautiful drawing and then they rushed the last uh, third of it and it's yeah. just like a caricature. That's the Red Wings roster, uh, sorry, the Kings roster until you get to the goaltending. Yeah. 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 Cam Talbot, you're relying on Cam Talbot in a year where you're expecting to be a cup contender. I'm sorry, have I missed something? Phoenix Copley, is that is that actually who they're going to be leaning on? Kopitar's older. Drew Doughty's older. You know, obviously, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a good player, but they had to give up a lot to get him. So Velarde's gone and Ayafalo's gone. gone. They lost Jersey to Arizona. Well, they, you know, got rid of him, but still. I don't think this team's better. I don't. Uh, they made the playoffs last year and they're a good team. And I, I probably figured them to be a playoff team again this year. But I don't think they improved. I think they got older. I think they got weaker at several key positions. Uh, you know, no secret on this podcast. I'm not the biggest Dubois fan, and I don't think he is what they think he is. Maybe with a little stability and consistency, he could pop off this year. Who knows? But yeah, I, I think they're a solid team, but I don't think they're anything special. I think they're a good team, and I actually do like Dubois, especially if he's not asked to be the only productive center on their team. That center depth, like Kopitar, Dubois, Deneau, are any of them like absolute superstars at this point in their careers? No. Maybe if Kopitar was, like, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, but that's a solid lineup. You add in Fiala, if Byfield works on the wing, like you know, Kaliev, Kepi, et cetera, like Arvidsson, I forgot his own LA. Like, oh, yeah, they're, they're good. They like have the firepower. Their offense, their defense, it's good. It's good. Like, don't get me wrong, but goaltending is awful and they're in a strong division. The Cup champs, the Vegas Golden Knights. This is a team that's going to have Jack Eichel, who seems to be back in form. 
They are coming back with a lot of players that they had previous. You know, Riley Smith is gone, though. Laurent uh, Brassois is gone. Jonathan Quick is obviously with the Rangers now, which a lot of people forget. Kessel's gone. Rangers fans are hoping to forget that, too. Yeah, they are. It's not... The the memes have been funny in the preseason, and that's pretty much the only productive part. part. But they haven't added a lot. So are they going to be able to come back and do the same thing? Or have they paid the price for their cup win? It's mostly the same team. I think the question with Vegas this year is simply uh, the questions, because I'll put two out there. How healthy is Mark Stone? Yeah. And is Aiden Hill a 50-game guy? Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to, because the roster's loaded. They're still going to be unreal. They're still one of the cup favorites. And their question marks are valid, but not as significant as other teams. It's hard to write them off in the division, though. I have to imagine they're performing amongst the best in the division. Oh, 100%. Poise. And I'm, you know me, I'm a huge Jack Eichel fan. I think people who wrote him off are, were way too quick to do it, and he proved a lot of people wrong. He, By all rights, he could have won the the, the Conn Smythe. It was a close battle between the two. Connor McDavid's Edmonton Oilers. Is this the year, TM? <laughs> it has to be, doesn't it? I feel like Mc- we've said that every year. Right, but this year, I don't particularly love Stuart Skinner. I don't particularly love Jack Campbell, but you got to think you're going to get enough decent games between them to be a really, really good team. Their defense actually has some depth. You know, Darnell Nurse is massively overpaid, but he's still good. Evan Bouchard's really good. Uh, Don't even know if Broberg's going to be able to crack the lineup at this point, which is, you know, a testament to them actually having some depth. Their offense is unreal. Mm -hmm. And then they added Connor Brown for basically nothing. Obviously coming off an injury, so who knows what he actually is. But, I mean, they were a loaded team last year. They're a loaded team this year. They get some goaltending and consistency. They're going to go as far as Connor McDavid will take him. Yep. They stay healthy. There's no reason why they can't do the exact same things they've done in the last season and in previous seasons in terms of actually winning when you're like, oh, but it's all going to fall on the shoulders of McDavid and Drysaddle. Yeah, these are two of the best players on the planet. Connor McDavid's the best player the sport has literally ever seen in its lifetime. Yeah, so yes, the answer is yes. I completely agree with you, Brad. It's going to fall on really goaltending for me. Can they get the goaltending where on the off chance that there's an injury or someone gets shut down for a game, the goaltending can bail them out? That's going to be the difference maker. So, I mean, yeah, Skinner was asked to do a lot last year where I think goalie in his position it, it just was never going to shake out in their favor Campbell has to come back and be as talented as he's displayed he can be in the past is he that goalie I don't know but that's their solutions right now they could be worse off than having those two for sure so I have a hard time not picking Edmonton to win the division and on that note let's do our projected standings I'll go first I have it's you know hot takes here Edmonton winning the division Vegas the second divisional seed I have LA, but I think Calgary will be close behind. I really am into the Calgary resurgence this season. I'm going to say Seattle because I think a good team, it's it's hard for a good team to be bad. I think you're absolutely right about regressing to the mean. So I don't know that they're necessarily going to be close to Calgary in the mix. Vancouver behind them. And then I have Anaheim, then San Jose. But you can switch those two interchangeably. I have Edmonton at one, Vegas is two, and I have them as their own tier in this division. Again, I could be talked either way, but 
When push comes to shove, I can't bring myself to bet against Connor McDavid. I'm going to go Calgary number three, just because, again, I like their depth. I like the fresh start. I like, from a prediction standpoint, all the signs that point to that should be better. Um, I am going to go LA at four still, even though I have my questions. Again, the center depth and their offense is unreal, so that should be enough to carry them comfortably into the playoffs. I'm going to still stick with Seattle at five against all my better judgment. That's not so much a testament to Seattle as I just can't buy into Vancouver. I just, I can't bring myself to do it. So I'm going to have them at six. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go Anaheim seven and San Jose at eight. And unlike you, I don't think I could be talked into flip-flopping them right now. I, I think San Jose is just truly awful. That's this fair. year at every position. Whereas at least with Anaheim, you could talk me into, hey, maybe John Gibson has a little bit of what he used to be. Hey, maybe one of the young guys pops off and they get some goals or whatever. I don't see that with San Jose at all. So I'm going to go Anaheim 7, San Jose 8. And that's our Pacific Division preview. Can't wait to be wildly wrong. And don't worry, we're making Evan Smith his lists as well. So those will be kept for the purposes of uh, seeing who is the least incorrect at the end of the year. Okay. I do not want to look back at last year's. Quick notes from across the NHL. We talked about Zegras and we talked about Pinto on previous podcasts and on this one. Ottawa and Pinto are still far apart and we're not talking like four or nine million. We're talking like one million versus 2.5 million. Ottawa's in a cap bind and they need Shane Pinto. So tough. And Anaheim has the room for Zegras and it's Pat Verbeek, you know, grinding to get the best value, but they're running some risk here, both these teams, right? For completely different reasons, but yes, Ottawa fancies themselves a playoff team this year, as they should. You know, you got they've hit the gas, you got to do it eventually. So you're going to have a critical part of your team at the center position just not playing? Because what, they don't want to wave or trade Matthew Joseph or pick another third, fourth line, bottom pair guy that's making some money? Yeah, you don't want to give away a decent player for nothing. But if you're upgrading the player you're putting into that slot, a.k.a. Shane Pinto, it's still a better bet for your playoff chances. I'd feel bad for them, but they created this own cap mess on their own. So they have to find a way to resolve it. They didn't sign all these contracts completely unaware of what would happen with Pinto when they ran out of cap space. They knew. So they knew that they should have had a plan for a way out of it. And the fact that whatever that plan is hasn't been implemented yet is insane to me. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't get it. Ottawa should be a much better team this year and they should be competing for a playoff spot. And the fact they're letting this just ride. Yeah, it's confusing to me. Both situations. And I'm not saying for any reasons specifically pertaining to the Red Wings, although you hope that if anything gets crazy and a, a player is jettisoned who shouldn't be, you know, your favorite team's GM jumps on top of it. But both situations are interesting to watch with Pinto and Segris. Patrick Kane, I know we talked previously on this podcast, he has taken the route of having his hip resurfacing surgery or procedure and then is going to come back later in the year. His agency put out a video showing him essentially just skating and, and showing that he's in shape. So expect those conversations to come up. He's been linked to Detroit in the past because of the Alex DeBrinca connection. His hometown Buffalo is very obviously going to be the favorite 
to land him. He's, I think, mentioned as much of uh, you know liking the idea of playing for Buffalo in the past. Buffalo is apparently keenly interested. Makes sense, honestly, if you're Buffalo to add a player like that. So no actual movement on that yet, but expect that to happen really soon. All right, we are going to jump into overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. As I mentioned, overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. The Discord, the bonus episodes, the entries into giveaways, and lots more are some of your benefits, including uh, plenty more that we don't mention here. You help us support the the Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA. Like We can only run those because of our patrons. You help us support the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their fight against substance use disorder. And you help us you know, grow the show, make it better, create more content like through Expected by Whom, a show hosted by Prashant Iyer and Sean Shapiro. Please give them a listen. They're doing some fantastic work over there. Again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Xander Willoughby asks a question who says, one, who scores the first goal of the season? What would be the most fun storyline? I'm going to go with the break it. Goss despair on the power play. And two, any fantasy drafting advice? Sorry, Brad. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's not my specialty. Yes, I'll give it to you honestly, and I've learned this the hard way. When the run on goalies starts, do not get hung out to dry. When goalies go, they go fast and make sure you have an elite goalie unless your league is set up in such a way where their stats don't count, but usually goalies have a disproportionate amount of value in fantasy hockey. I will throw on one thing that always worked for me back when, in the day when I actually used to do this, and depending how the league set up, the rules and the value can vary wildly, but I always looked at, I don't know how to explain this fully properly, the difference in value between the player available to me at different positions relative to the next best player. So if I had a late pick in the first round, and this would have been around the 2015 to 2017 era, last time I really got into this seriously, there would always be an 80 or a 90 point forward available mm-hmm. at my pick, but there was always Eric Carlson available. Yeah. I could comfortably get an 80 to 90 point forward in the second round still because there was a lot of them. Uh, maybe back then that might have been a 70 to 80 point player, but Eric Carlson was always 10, 20, 30 points ahead of the next defenseman available. So me waiting on the forward, I would only drop maybe five ish points in production. Whereas if I waited on that defenseman, I would drop. 20 30 points in production so i would always just look at that because you know oh crap i didn't get ryan nugent hopkins oh well tyler sagan's available 10 picks later what's the real difference obviously neither of those uh, sagan's not good anymore but at the time whereas it was eric carlson and then you would downgrade to drew doughty who would finish 15 points behind him Next one here from Jennifer Reed says, what are your feelings regarding special teams? If the team falters, are we going to look to individual players or coaching or both? That's tough to say right now because we've really only seen the one unit, right? Like both units should be capable this year because of the players they've added. You know, we've had years and years of the second power play unit just being a chasm compared to the first unit. So on the power play this year, since that's not the case anymore, I think that would be coaching. I almost feel like the same argument for the PK because it feels like they brought in guys specifically for the PK this offseason, right? Yeah. That's the number one thing I hear when people talk about the positives of Justin Hole. 
they'll be like, oh yeah, this limitation, that limitation. But let me tell you on the PK guy's great. And between him and Sherratt and whoever else you throw it in the PK and cop and Comfer and whatever, the PK should be good. Yeah. So yeah, I think if they can get good systems in place, it'll be good. And if it's not good, then yeah, you could probably point at the systems. Norris Sider says, conservatively, what do we think Moe's offensive upside likely could be, given that he gets enough talent around him to maximize that potential? 55, 60-ish, like if we're talking ceiling. Yeah, I think that's within range. And he's come close enough where you can see that. I mean, he might have a season where he absolutely blows up and surpasses it, but I think he should be able to hit that steady enough in his best years. It's also going to be dependent on what's around him, right? Like this year, Goss will steal some of his points just because he'll be getting the opportunity. And if we're looking long-term and everything goes according to plan, Sandine Pelica should eventually take his role on the top power play, right? So it's all contextual. Orange Sunquist says, Verbeek calls you up and offers Zegras for Raymond and Valeno. Do you do it? Say no, but it's interesting. I would strongly consider it. Yeah. I, like immediate, immediately in my head, I would say I would consider it. Right now, my head's leaning no. But this year would go a long way into determining that. Because if Raymond doesn't bounce back, if Raymond's not a 60, 65 point guy this year, then that trade's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Especially positionality, too. And yeah. Something's wrong with the diffuser. Uh, talks about. Danielson being more NHL ready than Casper, something we mentioned earlier in the episode. I actually called out, we don't, I don't think we talked about this, was Casper stepping up to fight Mantha. That was awesome. The fight itself was not great. But I, I, yeah, I love the mentality. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the worst hockey fights I've ever seen. Honestly, if I'm fighting a guy that much taller than me, you're staying as close as you can so they can't leverage all that. Oh, money. 100%. Yeah. 100%. But uh, <laughs> self-defense does not make a good fight. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we are actually going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. We have a Red Wings Blackhawks game to cover. I have some editing to do. Thank you all so very much for listening to the show. To all of you who support on Patreon, it means the world. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel podcast if you want to support. And get your tickets to Winged Wheel podcast and edit the LCA. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings or go to the link in the description of this episode. Make sure you're one of the first 400 tickets to get your Red Wings Winged Wheel Podcast co-branded beanie. To all of our listeners, new and old, we appreciate you so much. And to all of our name-level supporters on Patreon, we couldn't do this without you. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Everybody Loves Raymond, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Brad owes me a beanie, Brian J. Bauer, Buck the Suckeyes, Carl Brutana Nanoluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K. Cannon fodder to the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, That's What I Appreciate About You, Wellman's Elite Dancing D, What's That Smell, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Ain't No Shame in Rogaine, 
Axel Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snipshow, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Oophelia, Stephen, The Hodag, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, X, formerly A.A. Ron, and your second favorite patron. We'll talk to you guys Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.